Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. This is the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, and I'm going to be joining you solo here today. Scheduling conflicts prevent us uh, from recording together this week, so Rob will hopefully be back on next week's podcast. But... Uh, we will have a feature later in the episode where we, um, I will be playing an instant reaction from the movie Dune, which will feature uh, Dave Dixon, who's a frequent contributor to the podcast, as well as Matt Goss. Uh, so there's going to be several of us on the uh, Dune instant reaction, which leads us right into our episode for today. We're going to be talking about box office results. Uh, We'll give you that instant reaction to the movie Dune and a couple of other stories and recommendations along the way. All right, let's get started. Uh, So last week at the box office, we have a new box office king after No Time to Die took uh, the top spot two weeks ago. Halloween Kills, which debuted this past week, is number one at the box office, scoring $49.4 million. No Time to Die followed in second place uh, with a respectable 23.8 in its second weekend release. That film has now made about $100 million domestically. Uh, Still going strong, Venom at $16.5 million. Adam's Family at 7.1, and the other new debut from last week finished in fifth at the box office, The Last Duel, uh, at $4.8 million. Uh, now, what stands out to me with the box office results here is that horror continues to do incredibly well. Uh, horror seems to be the best bet, the biggest bang for the buck when it comes to box office results. Uh Halloween Kills had a very, very strong debut. And this, uh, this to me, tells you two things. One, uh, horror is one of the most uh, easy-to-predict genres when it comes to the box office. You throw out a horror movie, you're going to get good results right now, especially if it's, uh, if it's from a, one of the well-known horror franchises or if it's something that, that seems to be well-made and gets well-publicized. You're going to do well with it. That seems to be a trend that has continued uh, to happen uh, throughout the the more recent box office results is that horror is doing well. Horror has been predictable. Uh, The other thing I think it shows is that there is still a market for Michael Myers, apparently. There's still a market for Michael Myers. People still value that franchise and think there's something to it. So I would not be surprised if we end up seeing more coming down the line. Um... It, as we've talked about on the podcast, if you listen on a regular basis, uh, I am not a big horror genre guy, so I did not head out and see Halloween Kills. Um, so I'm not sure if um, it was any good or not, but uh, enough people went to see it that I believe that there is a, still a future for this franchise. Uh, the other thing that sticks out to me is I feel like the performance for The Last Duel at $4.8 million has to be underwhelming. I mean, that was a very big cast. Adam Driver, Matt Damon, um, Ben Affleck. Now, it is a period piece, and it was not as highly and widely publicized as some other releases, 
so it did have a more limited audience in terms of who was going to be able to go see the movie. But I'm still surprised it only did 4.8 million, just sheer on sheer name recognition value. Uh, it's possible that with uh, No Time to Die, Halloween Kills, Venom, it's a crowded box office, and there just wasn't a lot of people who uh, were ready to see the last duel. But I do feel like that's a bit of a disappointing performance uh, for a movie that featured that many great cast members. I intend to go see this movie, but I haven't gotten uh, the time in my schedule to do it yet. But I hope I hope that their low box office numbers is not an indication of the quality of the film. Um, but it was surprising that it didn't do better than what it did. So that's uh, that's the results we have uh, for this uh, last week at the box office. Um, I said No Time to Die came in. Uh, it did about 50%, almost exactly 50% of what it did last week. So you always get a second uh, week drop off with every film. But it wasn't like the 70-75% we were seeing from films like Black Widow, which had the streaming option, which really, I think, killed its longevity in the theaters. Uh, but it was a reasonably solid performance from No Time to Die in week two given that it was slightly underwhelming in week one. Uh, for, so that was last week. This week we have two major releases. Uh, one will be the big one. One is more of a, uh, I don't want to say indie film because it's not an indie film, but we'll get to it in a second. Uh, so the big releases this week are Dune and The French Dispatch. So we'll start with Dune. Uh, Dune is the long-anticipated, many-delayed uh, epic from uh, Denis Villanueva uh, based on the Herbert novel. Uh, that's a classic sci-fi story, um, which is known for its incredible complexity and density and, and just the, the crazy world that it created. Uh, this movie has an incredible cast and just, I mean, huge, huge actors on almost every single role. Um, Timothy Charlemagne, Charlemagne, um, I'm not very good at pronouncing, uh, pronouncing his name, Charlemagne or something like that, uh, is the main character and, uh, but it also stars Rebecca Ferguson, Zendaya, Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, Stellan Skarsgård, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem. I mean, the cast is just ridiculous. Dave Bautista. Just a huge, huge cast. Um, and it's it's an epic, epic movie. And we'll get into our review of it here in a little bit. Uh, but this is a big, big theatrical release, one that has been anticipated for a long, long time. Uh, it technically is a remake because there was a 1984 film Dune, uh, but the entire, uh, the entire landscape of movies and how you would create epics like this has changed dramatically since 1984. So uh, you can pretty much... Uh, be guaranteed that this is going to resemble almost nothing uh, like the 1984 version. Um, 
It is one that is also a dual streaming release because this was a Warner Brothers movie. So it is available instantly in theaters and on HBO Max. Uh, the one thing I like about this is that I'm going to be able to go back and watch parts of it at home uh, to do a review. I'm planning on writing up a review of Dune as well. And so that will make it easier. Uh, but I would probably like to see it in the box office again as well. Um, Dennis Villanueva is one of my absolute favorite directors. I think he is um, second only to Christopher Nolan in terms of what he's able to do in movies. And he just has his own style, his own feel. And uh, just amazing, amazing director. And he brings that to bear on, on this epic story. I think he was an excellent, excellent choice to direct and the cast was well suited. So we'll get into review on that. But Dune comes out this week. And you're going to want to make sure you get to Dune. Uh, the second film that comes out is The French Dispatch. The French Dispatch is um, the latest movie. Um, the latest movie from Wes Anderson. Now Wes Anderson is a unique and interesting director. And... He is, he is, I don't want to say an acquired taste because that, that sounds too negative. He is unique. He is interesting. We've talked about him a few times on the podcast, but his movies always have their own kind of distinct feel and distinct flow to them. Uh, they're not really like much of anything else that gets put out. Um, they're quirky. They're a bit campy. Uh, perhaps he has his unique style uh, where uh, symmetry is a big, big deal to him. The visuals, the look, the symmetry. Uh, it has almost this kind of like style that often reflects like the any the early 1900s. Um, like the, early, the first half of the, the 20th century type look to a lot of his films. Uh, that's not exclusive, but he has a very, very unique type uh, look and feel to him, which sometimes uh, makes his films less accessible for accessible to people who are not used to what his uh, movies are going to be like. I feel like Wes Anderson films are are films that you almost need someone to introduce you to. And then you almost need to find the one that hits you in the right space so that you can get it and then you can understand it. Um, to give you just a little comparison, this is from the, the world of music. I'm a big music guy also. But uh, for years and years and years, people kept telling me about this band. And uh, this band was just incredible. You got to listen to it. You gotta listen to it. it. They're they're incredible, and uh, it was Arcade Fire. Everyone kept telling me I have to listen to Arcade Fire. I have to listen to Arcade Fire, and I was just I, I so I did. I, you know I would try it. I would try listening to Arcade Fire, and I just wouldn't get it. Albums like Neon Bible and something like that. I was just like I couldn't get it, and but everyone kept telling me they were great and they were amazing and all this stuff. And then they came out with uh, the 2010 album, The Suburbs. And 
I heard the the song We Used to Wait. And We Used to Wait, I actually, I really enjoyed that song. And that became my connection. It's like that opened up that band to me. And I was now able to appreciate what they did. And I've been a big fan of that band ever since. Sometimes with Wes Anderson, I feel like you need that introduction. You need that someone to kind of point you in that direction and show you and kind of watch the films with you and get you prepared for what you're going to experience. Otherwise, they can just come off as weird or interesting. But he's a fantastic director and has made some really good movies. The French Dispatch stars Benicio Del Toro, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Lea Seydoux, and of course, Francis McDormand, uh, who is a constant in uh, his films. Also, Timothy Chalamet. Chalamet, I, again, he's in there again, and I still can't pronounce his name. I need to work on that. Uh, so it has a big cast as well, and it's basically a love letter to a journalist set in an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city that brings life to a collection of stories published in the French Dispatch magazine. Um, so make sure you go out and see the French Dispatch as well. If you're not uh, used to Wes Anderson, this is uh, this can be one that you check out and see how this works. So that's what's coming out this week. Uh, one more story I want to hit on briefly that came up um, over the last uh, day or two, and it just felt like it was worth mentioning because uh, this is this is going to be an ongoing story, and it is the. Uh, this kind of tragic story from the set of the movie Rust. And that is that Alec Baldwin uh, apparently discharged a prop firearm on the set of this film while they were recording. And something, we're not quite sure what happened, but something went wrong when he discharged this prop firearm. And it killed the cinematographer and severely wounded the director of the film. Uh, the cinematographer... Uh, whose name is Helena Hutchins, uh, ended up dying. She was transported to a hospital in New Mexico and was pronounced dead there. And the director of the film uh, was also severely injured and was uh, listed in critical condition, uh, according to the article. Uh, Joel Souza. Uh, was the director who was listed in critical condition. Now, there's there's an investigation underway. Um, obviously, the film has stopped shooting for the moment, and uh, nobody's quite sure exactly what happened and exactly what led to this. Um, I'm sure we're going to be hearing more about this story, uh, but this is a pretty big deal, and this is not something that happens tremendously often, but there have been a few well-publicized um, things like this that have occurred. Um, probably most prominently was the 1993 death of Brandon Lee, uh, the son of Bruce Lee, who was accidentally shot and killed on the set of The Crow um, by another actor who was using a, a supposedly fake firearm that had not been properly prepared. Um, that one is probably the most famous incident of that, but doesn't happen that often considering how many movies have to feature guns and firing and all of those type of things. Uh, but really a tragic incident, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more about it. 
so now, uh, moving on to our discussion section, this is going to feature our instant reaction for the movie Dune uh, between myself and uh, Dave Dixon and Matt Goss, we discuss our thoughts immediately upon exiting the theaters. And hopefully you will get something out of this. There are a few spoilers. We don't go too deep into uh, a lot of the uh, specifics, but it does feature spoilers. So if you do not want to uh, be spoiled as to our thoughts on Dune, uh, feel free to go ahead and skip over this section. You can check in the notes on the podcast and we'll tell you how far you got to skip ahead. And then I will come back afterwards to wrap up the episode. So enjoy the interview. Hello, this is the instant reaction from the premiere of Dune. I am joined uh, once again by Dave Dixon and also by Matt Goss. The other Matt Goss. The other Matt Goss, for those of you who that makes sense to. Um, just want to give a brief uh, thoughts on our instant reaction to Dune. Uh, what did you guys think? Okay. Um, I thought that the attention to detail in the movie was unbelievable. They covered so many things, uh, and for the most part, uh, if you read the books, you knew everything that was happening. If you didn't read the books, I imagine you could follow along, but there were probably a lot of things that it was just kind of in the background, mm -hmm. just to be true to the source material, and they just kind of like snuck it in there, and it was awesome. Yeah, it really was a labor of love uh, by Dennis uh, Villanueva and the other writers. I mean, just the level of detail that they put in and even the style he went for was really about the emotion of it rather than always just saying yeah. what was going on. Mm -hmm. They explained what they needed to explain, but there's also a, left, a lot they left out, but not in a bad way. And I say left out, if, of course, that's if you've read the book. Yeah. Um, one of the things that stuck out to me that I really enjoyed was unlike a lot of alien worlds like this one he did a great job of making it feel foreign like it yeah. felt like a different world it felt like you just stepped into a place you don't understand and have no way of understanding well, which it, is does not happen in a lot of <laughs> in a lot of narratives and a lot of stories the spitting scene oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the whole water the water yeah. thing yeah he did a really good job of making it uh, everything everything was very visceral like, I don't know if you caught like from the ships like the flattering of the wings like the very like animalistic to the way that the water uh, moved and the sand moved I mean all of it had like a like the sunlight I mean there were yeah. times when you're looking at the screen it almost like hurt to look at the screen but it was on purpose mm -hmm. because you were supposed to feel like you were out in the sun like that it was pretty yeah. pretty visceral that way yeah and the sound is almost like a whole other character mm -hmm. in the movie like yeah. uh, in the books in the first book I forget how long they spent they talk about how Kaladin the planet they're coming from is all water like for a yeah. long time they talk about how they're going to have to get used to not seeing water anymore and not doing this anymore and the movie starts with a dream and he's dreaming about a desert planet while you hear rain in the background yeah. and it's a detail that 
most people will never notice, but like if you know what the reason they did it, it just makes it so awesome. Yeah. I think one of the other things I enjoyed is I enjoyed the it's classic Dennis Villanueva where he just like he backs off from the story and he just creates a moment. Where it's just a moment where it's kind of just letting the atmosphere breathe. He's not compiling it with text or um, dialogue. He's not. Yeah. He's not trying to create a narrative. He's just trying to get you into the feel of the moment. And he regularly does that. He'll push something and then he'll just let it breathe. I mean, there was a lot of that in this movie. I mean, and I think that's what you were saying, Matt, about the music being another character. I mean, it really was, and it wasn't. I mean, the music wasn't very Hans Zimmer like. Um, it was a lot earth, a lot more earthy, which I thought is interesting for a sci-fi movie. Um, a lot of earthy sounds, a lot of um, you know those moments where they're stepping back to look at that. So, it, those made those kind of moments. Yeah. Yeah, and it, the way he used the way he used kind of the light and shadows. I mean, almost the entire movie was in tones of orange and brown. Yeah. Um, even even the indoor scenes were shot that way, with heavy heavy dosage of light and shadow. Oh yeah, yeah. You gotta wonder what you think as a filmmaker. When you're like, hey, you want to make a movie? Oh, what's the setting gonna be? A desert. <laughs> Everything in the desert. Yeah. So I got brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, I can work with that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even like the down to the silly things, like the I mean, the design of the still suits, yeah, and you know all the pieces there. Like the, the attention to detail was insane. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even the how disturbing uh, the Baron looked, like just captured some of those pieces from the movie, um, or the weird the weird tech that was involved in kind of this weird like um, futuristic, but also ancient-ish type culture that was, that's a part of the the lore. Did they even talk about why they don't use I don't think they even mentioned they why they even don't use machines why they don't use, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So they didn't even get into that, but there, there's a whole piece there that he just brought in and made it in such a way where it seemed very natural that that was the way the world worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Like even like the shield thing, like they didn't really explain them. They just kind of were there, and it seemed like what happened. I'm actually really surprised they didn't explain the shields and laser yeah. like interaction. Yeah. Because I think that becomes a thing later. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Or even like the you know like the uh, the shield that covers the the place. Like they kind of said it's there, but they didn't really like get into yeah. that. And they oh, there's a lot of things that they did like that that were really fascinating. Yeah, and they didn't. They kind of let they kind of let some of the story play out without explaining a ton of it. Mm-hmm. Like, they'd kind of jump in, they kind of jump into the middle of the fray with only a few lines of saying, like, hey, when we get here, there's probably going to be problems. And yeah. they just kind of let it there for the most yeah. part and let you kind of experience it, which gives you a little bit of disorientation going in, but at the same time... Uh, allows you to kind of be in the moment when it's happening. Yeah, one, another thing that they did really well is, so the complexity of the book, uh, Dune, uh, is largely because there, there's, a, there's a huge political thread, there's a militaristic thread, there's a 
uh, a kind of a religious thread. There's like all these pieces that wove together and he did such a good job of picking up on them and letting them carry it for itself. Like the storyline of um, the houses and that piece kind of had its spot. The whole piece about, uh, you know, the Bene Jesuit and the religious quasi-messiah uh, talk of the book, like they let that run its thread and they really gave each one its place to focus on and also brought it to a weird conclusion of sorts, knowing that this is part one yeah. of what's supposed to be two, uh, that they brought it to a spot that made sense to wrap it up. That's the first nexus, right? In the books? Yes, that's really the first. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, ending, the ending is very reminiscent of um, basically the ending of The Fellowship of the Ring where you just see the two of them walking off and, you know, like, okay, now we start the journey. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. there is there's there is an element where it felt along those same lines with that. Yeah, that I mean, the ending. the ending does it's, have a it's classic. A, it's an ending spot, but yeah. it's also like, okay, now we're starting something else. I'm super curious if they're going to try to make, like, the Paul Atreides movies or if they're going to try to make the Dune movies. Is like you're talking four or fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. So if they just go, if they just do two for, if they just do two for this main book, which is I think is what Villanueva said he's going to do, mm-hmm. um, it'd be interesting to see where he picks up after that. I mean, I don't want to spoil the whole story uh, on your podcast, but it's. Uh, I mean, if they end where they say they're going to end, picking up after that would be really interesting because no one's really gone after the first book, like. After the first book, yeah, yeah, no one's really gone after telling the story like Dune Messiah and mm-hmm. all the ones that come after that. Yeah, short version, which isn't really a spoiler. If you ever read the books, there are major time jumps between most of the novels. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, between the actual between the books themselves. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. First not, and second are like there, and then it's you know. And then after that, it's yeah, yeah, it's pretty significant. But you know again you go back and you know dune is a classic sci-fi novel for a reason yeah and one of those reasons is the world created the complexity of the story um and the way it captured people's imagination yeah yeah um one last thing any anything you didn't like about it it more has to do with imax for me it was too loud for me Mm. that's just Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean that's a that's an unfortunate, uh, common occurrence, more common occurrence with IMAX. That's that's unfortunate. The sound profile is bigger, is always bigger. Yeah. In IMAX. Yeah. Um, that was an issue with Tenant too, because you know he has a he's known for having a louder sound profile anyway, and then you amplify that in yeah. IMAX, and now it becomes difficult. So. I I personally have, I missed a number of lines of dialogue. Yeah, I yeah. just didn't hear it. I mean, the other thing is, is as someone, I'm not sure if that was an IMAX thing or if that was a just the way that yeah, the, the, the accents theater. slash the way that they they did the sound on yeah. that. I would say another thing is just as someone who's read the books. I mean, I could have I could have gone for a little bit more dialogue and explanation mm-hmm. into some of the things, um, like the hand in the box scene. Mm-hmm. There's like a whole piece there. I would have liked to see uh, the the Duke get a little bit more screen time before um, his story wraps up. You know that those kinds of things that I appreciated from the book, 
like I appreciated that you know the Duke is actually a great father figure and a great leader um, in the books I mean he's got his flaws but he's the like especially in our cinema today where there's not as many great like father figures like he's a a pretty good pretty good uh, um, example of that so I would like to see more there but I I feel like I'm kind of nitpicking at this point (laughs) (laughs) yeah like Liet Kine's final scene in the movie the whole time I was watching I was saying like this has absolutely nothing to do with how it goes in the book yeah (laughs) but like but I understand it'd be like 45 minutes if they went the way it happens yeah like in order to get to part two Liet Kynes had to meet meet of course it was a guy in the in the book but that's it it wasn't really consequential to the character alright well that is the review of instant reaction to Dune and uh, go out and check it out this weekend in theaters or if you must HBO Max if you don't feel like going to theaters. Uh, Thanks for listening. Okay, and thanks once again to uh, Matt Goss and Dave Dixon for their reaction uh, as we experience Dune. And we encourage you to go out and see it. It really, really is worth going to see, especially in theaters. You just need that theater experience to to capture uh, a movie of this scale. And always recommend IMAX because it's so great. Um, but now we'll wrap up with uh, watch list, and I wanted to do something different with the watch list this time. Um, I wanted to give you a highlight from a streaming service, something that I really, really like about a particular streaming service that I think uh, is a good benefit to to movie fans. And I'm going to highlight Peacock the streaming service Peacock from NBC. And one of the things that they do on their streaming service that I really enjoy is they prominently feature the collections they have uh, better than any of the other streaming services, I think. Uh, They have uh, the entire collections of a number of different series or franchises on their streaming platform, and they prominently highlight them. Uh, they have, just for instance, this uh, right now, if you click on the movies section of, of Peacock, they have two different highlights in their, in their flow as you go down through uh, the app or, or the service. Uh, and right now for October, they're featuring freaky franchises where they have all of the Child's Play movies, um, classic monster movies collection, all of the Saul movies. The Fly Collection, Friday the 13th Collection, Texas Chainsaw Collection, Nightmare on Elm Street Collection, Predator Collection, Gremlins Collection. I mean, a huge, huge amount of collections and franchises. And then right below that, they have like the non-freaky franchises collection. They got Harry Potter, uh, Back to the Future, Die Hard, John Wick, and uh, the Meet the Parents movies. So they do a great job of highlighting series, which makes it really, really accessible for fans uh, to say, hey, let's take the next couple weeks and watch uh, watch the Back to the Futures again, or we can watch, let me catch up on the Saw movies or whatever. Uh, they do a great job of featuring that. Uh, so I just want to highlight that. It makes it really accessible for, for fans to see what collections they have. 
Um, I could tell this on a different streaming service. I had watched Taken 1, and I had no idea whether Taken 2 or 3 was was on that service. It turns out it wasn't. But um, that type of thing, highlighting that you have all of the collections in the same spot, really makes it easy and accessible for fans. Uh, so I'm going to close out with this. Uh, hopefully my No Time to Die review, which was supposed to be up in the last week, but I hadn't gotten around to it and haven't finished it yet. Hopefully that will be up in the next week. So I encourage you to go over to filmforfans.com and check out the written review of No Time to Die as soon as it airs in the next day or two. Uh, and my recommendation would be a, another Wes Anderson movie. Um, we talked earlier about Wes Anderson. You kind of need an access point to Wes Anderson sometimes. Uh, my recommended access point to him is Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom is featured on HBO Max right now. And it's, uh, it's a really interesting story uh, featuring two, two kids who are, are less than pleased with their housing situation and their homes. And it features on an island, again, in that kind of 1950s, 60s kind of vibe to it you know mid-century modern type type feel to it but it's really it's it's really fun and interesting and quirky and i think it's a good access point to wes anderson so that's my recommendation moonrise kingdom on hbo max well that will do it for the film for fans podcast thank you for tuning in i uh, just encourage you to rate and subscribe to the podcast that really does help us out and we'd love for you to share it with your friends and increase our audience uh, if you're enjoying what you're experiencing and, and drop us a line, give us a comment or something. If uh, there's something you want to engage with us with, we'd love to hear from you until next time. Enjoy the movies.